everybody, and welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, your place for all things software and technology. My name is Cassidy Williams, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Ryan Donovan. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Cassidy. That's a sweet intro. Oh, thanks. I'm new to it. <laughs> um, I'm very right. excited to have our guest today, Juan Linietsky. He works on the Godot engine and w4 games and all kinds of cool game development things and i'm geeking out over having you on the show juan welcome (laughs) thank you it's a huge pleasure to be here it's really exciting to have you on the show and just i think game dev in general it feels like it's growing tremendously Mm -hmm. and and games published to steam using godot has been growing so strongly it's it's really really exciting to see how popular and accessible it's it's become because i feel like back when i was first starting coding and everything it was not easy to get up and running to make a game and and now godot is doing impressively well thanks yeah i think it's something that kind of took a while i mean even when i started doing game development in the late 90s even playing video games wasn't something mainstream at the time like some Mm. people would like to buy Uh, the PlayStation or the Nintendo 64 and something that some kids had, but I think the majority wasn't really into that and uh, was still more a niche. Like you can, if you see the units sold, maybe, I don't know, worldwide, some of them sold like 30, 40 million. And for something worldwide at the time, it was Mm -hmm. still very niche to have like a, a game console and PC gaming wasn't very mainstream either. So uh, I was still wanting to do games and it wasn't something mm-hmm. mainstream and there was nothing I could use at the time. Like there wasn't any game engine. You had to start from scratch, making your own mm-hmm. like technology, like from zero. You in, Even in the 90s, you have like what was called the frame buffer, which is like a, a shared memory region, like where you would write to and then the pixels would, would appear. Mm-hmm. Not even an API <laughs> call, like just write to this memory yeah. and, and the consoles weren't <laughs> very different. It was something very, very low level. And uh, so my problem also was that I wanted to work on video games and I was from Buenos Aires. So there was like Mm -hmm. no game industry if I had to work on games. I had to uh, go live in the US or maybe France or UK or Japan. And that was it. All the countries where games were made and that was it. So I was more into like funding the industry here in South America. Uh, I created uh, with other people the first companies in the very early 2000, like 2001 and 2002. And from there, yeah. I was used to making like my own game technology. And it's very interesting because uh, I think both uh, video games, as you say, became more mainstream, uh, but yeah. also making games became more mainstream. And for me, it was... I was doing this like a super niche thing that nobody else understood what it was in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And now it's so mainstream, like everybody wants to make games and play games and mm-hmm. and it has changed like so much. So I'm very happy that the world changed <laughs> towards this side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's not something yeah. so obscure. And suddenly like all the young kids now that I go to school, high school they want to make games and Mm -hmm. when i was in high school nobody had a clue what it was or even wanted Mm -hmm. to do that or they found it very weird to make games so it's uh it's i'm very happy Mm -hmm. about all this change and all this trend and uh, making one of the technologies that is allowing this to happen now uh, especially in the open source side because uh, Mm -hmm. before godot like everything like mainstream was entirely commercial right, right. Uh, that makes, makes me very happy I mean it's uh, some position mm-hmm. to be in that is uh, was uh, by luck in a certain sense but uh, mm. but yeah very very happy that this is this is happening 
Yeah, it's interesting. I remember you say it wasn't that popular, but I remember when I was in elementary school back in the uh, the ancient days, I had a program on my Commodore 64 called Gary Kitchen's Game Maker. <laughs> and it had a full Sprite studio, full synthesizer. Wow. Um, I, I never actually figured out how to make games with it, but it's been, like you said, interesting to see the progression of the tools and then the engines. My experience with the engines has been kind of the the unreal seeing those out there as like commercial engines. What's it like working on an open source engine and what are the kind of tools that you're building for it? So that's a really good question because originally when I started making game technology, it wasn't meant to be open source. Oh, wow. The tools I started creating, maybe they were a bit different uh, than it was mm-hmm. out there because in my region, in South America, we didn't have like a lot of budget to make games. Uh, finding investment was more difficult because the, the investors had no idea what games were at the time. Even if you told them mm-hmm. that at the time it was bigger than the music industry, they just won't believe you. Right. So uh, we used to work with very constrained budgets to make games. And one of the reasons I created technology was to make it easier. Like, So you need less programmers to do things and have more visual tools. So right. the 3D artists, the 2D artists, the animators, the game designer could just go into the tool and, and make this. And this is why I started like doing these kind of tools. And also why... It's a bit different. If you look at Godot and maybe Unreal or Unity, it's not the same thing. It's it's not mm-hmm. like you can see like something copied the other. Like the 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 way Godot works is quite different. So what is very interesting is that philosophy was created out of necessity, mm-hmm. making something very accessible, very easy to use. So like the programmers who are super expensive could like be reduced in the team, and you could like use maybe less skilled programmers working on scripting rather than C++. Uh, that was all like mm-hmm. things that happened out of necessity rather than out of vision, you could say. Mm-hmm. But what is very interesting is that when I stopped doing like entrepreneurship in South America in 2014, 15, because the region is super unstable, and well, I have to move to Spain. Mm-hmm. But having put everything open source, it looks like the kind of tools I was making, even if they weren't made for like public consumptions, uh, people still liked what I made, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very lacking compared to like Unreal or Unity at the time in 2014, mm-hmm. but people still liked it. It was accessible. You could do a lot of things. So I still kept working mostly as hobby on, on this for a couple of years and uh, fixing it and like following the feedback from the users. I still was doing like mostly business consulting for game companies, finding them uh, like investors, publishers, because I, I have my own company, have a lot of experience with that. But since I love making technology, I was still like doing as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And it was like, uh, I think from what you mentioned, it was 2017 or 18 when... This guy, uh, this French guy, uh, GD Quest, he put out a Kickstarter saying that he was going to make tutorial for making games in Godot because I am a technical person who sucks at making documentation. I have no <laughs> idea how to make good docs. They are still very complicated and very technical. So Nathan, mm-hmm. Nathan, who like his company's GD Quest, he was like, let's do a Kickstarter to like, just I'm going to make a, a Godot tutorials if I can like make 8,000 in my Kickstarter. And the next day he had like 50,000. Like it was like wow. co- completely crazy <laughs> how many people really wanted to use this technology and mm. how much they cared about like something open source to make games that didn't depend like on a company. And I think one of the things from what you mentioned, like what, what makes people want to use it is if it's open source, like what, what's the, the key point? 
We try to do a lot of polls and, and follow a lot of the feedback of the community, the Godot community, to understand exactly why they prefer it, right? Because you have Unity, you have Unreal, then why people still use Godot. Like we have just seen, I have just like less than an hour ago, I had access to the numbers of uh, games from the Global Game Jam that finished, I think, yesterday. And Godot has been used for almost 7% of all games. And yeah. In comparison to Unreal, maybe 9%. And Unity is much bigger at like 60%. But if you look at some years mm-hmm. ago, like Unity was at 80 and Godot didn't exist. And now Godot is at 7 and Godot is at 60. So it's like it's closing the gap. And this is just with something that is entirely open source that never had any kind of publicity uh, investment in evangelization. We never go to any school to Mm. tell them, hey, teach Godot, even though we have a lot of schools that are teaching it. So I think there is a huge demand from the general public about something like this. I think half of it, or probably Mm. more half of it, has to do with the feeling of freedom that something open source gives you, like the feeling of ownership, Mm -hmm. probably more than the feeling of... I mean, you feel that... This is something that is as good as if you own it, right? If you use Unity, mm-hmm. you don't know Unity. I mean, you, you pay for it or maybe you use the free version, right. but you don't feel that you own it, that it's something that you can right. modify. You can talk to the developers who do everything mm-hmm. in the open, can't like contribute much to what's going on. There's this big company and behind closed doors, they make like a product and you're completely out at the mercy of whatever they want. Mm-hmm. But with Godot, most most of the community is like very passionate about like participating in all the discussions and they try all the pull requests that are made and they give a lot of feedback. Mm-hmm. We are open recently a proposal system where I, uh, I and the other Godot leads like request that even the lead developers and the lead contributors still open proposals before doing anything so the community can give feedback. Uh, so we have, we have this very rich ecosystem where there's proposals open mm-hmm. and the community will discuss they will give feedback. They will tell us, this is great. This sucks. I mean, this is missing the point. Actually, you should be focusing on something else in this topic. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very, very interesting. So I think probably most of it has to do, as I say, with the ownership feeling. Like it's something that you belong to. Right. Uh, it's something that you you can use as if, it, as if it was your own. But the other thing that I think is making it successful is uh, the way that we really focus on like listening to the user you know it's like it has to be very user friendly it has to be chasing the most common use cases it, it's not something that has to be for the very technically skilled people i mean the technically mm-hmm. skilled people has all the apis and they need to make something they great but we are focusing on making something that is for most people they just can download it you see this silly like uh, it has to work so i think it's the ease of use right. uh, and also the feeling of ownership We hear a lot of people who got into programming because of games. And I think this is a low barrier to entry for people to start experimenting with programming because it's free and open source. That that makes sense. Yeah, the thing with Godot is that uh, it uses by default. And this is one of the things that we had to double down at the beginning because when you're doing something new, you get lots of criticism, of course. And one -hmm. of the criticisms we got at first uh, by people is that Godot uses its own like scripting language, like a domain specific Mm -hmm. like language. It's very similar to Python and we make it like very, it's like a Python for games pretty much, but it's very Mm self-contained. It only exists within the engine. The engine has like the code editor inside. So it's a very, very contained environment. And this is one of the things that the existing developers at the beginning were like, I, I want to use Lua or Python or something mm-hmm. like that. And the right. re- reality is that when it was closed, we went through the work of supporting other programming languages. And 
the the friction with integrating something that is like not designed for your technology was very very strong like there were problems mm. all over the place and most people doing technology like say well that's what it is i mean i can't do it better so but for godot like me and ariel who co-wrote it with me we were very obsessive mm-hmm. that we wanted like the best possible user experience because the easier it is the more easy we could get new programmers to work on this and they would use the platform uh, and it's going to be cheaper to develop with this. So magically, this worked for actually like people <laughs> getting into the platform because at the beginning we got lots of facts like this is a custom language. Why should they learn this? But then, like it has like nine years later, uh, we open sourced it like almost nine years ago. And most of the community is very happy that we went with our own custom programming language because it's so mm-hmm. accessible and so easy. And like you find everything and everything happens within this domain. So you write your code and then the autocompletion happens not just with the code, but with every object that happens in your game. So it's very, very accessible. So I think that that decision is what made it more accessible. Like if you look at, at as an example, if you look at uh, each I.O. where all the young programmers just start writing games and publish games. Mm-hmm. If you look at the statistics there, like, I think you can say that there's like a hundred games, like indie games, small games published by mm-hmm. uh, indies using Unity and maybe 50 using Godot, like half of it. So it shows mm-hmm. that for those wanting to learn, Godot is a great, like having uh, such a self-contained environment, but still being very powerful. So you can do really complex games like that really paid off in, in the long term. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those things where if you have the right guardrails in place, people figure out how to be creative within those boundaries. And I feel like that can be necessary because if everything is possible, then that means everything can break. And especially if you are trying to make it more accessible for new developers and, and people who are trying to make games for the first time, it's good to have those limits in place and APIs in place so mm-hmm. that people can take it and then run with it and then they can figure out the limits on their own rather than running into them by breaking everything. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly as to say, Cassidy. We have our code editor and you write the code for the game. And anything that you potentially can do wrong, the engine tells you like, hey, this is like not going to work or are you sure you want to do this? Uh, and then, for example, you can connect like events to the editor, but you can see in the code that you have an event connected to something. You couldn't do that in a regular like C Sharp or C++ editor. Like it's something very engine, like it guides mm-hmm. you. So you make less mistakes and you understand what is going on. So I think that really did help a lot. And most programmers generally, and especially in open source, it's my feeling that when you look at things made in the open source domain, uh, what most programmers do is something for the other technically. Like if you look at things like Git as an example, like Git is super, super complex and most people use it even though they don't get it. And the usability Mm -hmm. is really bad, but well, it's this industry standard. So like you, you still use it. And this is usually like a problem for a lot of people. So now we have all those tools, they get have a mm-hmm. IDE so that it makes it easier. So the people really need, the, the users need this kind of of things in place to make sure they don't mess up and then they are, understand what is wrong, even if they become very skilled eventually. For learning, it's, it's very, very useful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You talked about earlier, uh, the old systems having a frame buffer that you wrote directly to. And I know graphics is a big sort of issue for a lot of game programming. How does the Godot engine implement and simplify the graphics process for people? Well, that's a really good question because when I started doing graphics, as, as I was saying, you had just this memory region 
the VGA uh, memory that was mapped to the main memory. It wasn't even like 32 bits. It was 16 bits in the 286. Right. And uh, that was everything you had. Like you just write into it, and that's it. And then you got like graphics APIs, like Direct3D and maybe OpenGL, but they were still more or less something that you could understand. And learning OpenGL is something you could do in a weekend, and it was okay. Mm-hmm. But if you fast forward to today, you have things like Vulkan, which are amazively complex. Like Vulkan is. I can't explain going from OpenGL or Direct3D11 to Vulkan. Uh, it's it's <laughs> Easily two orders of magnitude more more complex, and I am not I am not kidding. It's super super. You probably have seen all the memes about drawing a triangle with Vulcan requiring seven thousand lines of code, and it's it's no <laughs> joke. I mean, there is a reason why it is like that. It's very useful that you can have so much control over everything going on when you know what you're doing. But if you don't know what you're doing, mm-hmm. learning Vulcan is almost impossible because you don't know what things are for. Even if you mm-hmm. do a tutorial you're going to be learning a tutorial, but then you still don't know how to use the things that you you see. And this is very, very worrying to me. And this is creating like a, a world where like people who are able to make their own like technology is more rare and more rare. And you may think that it only affects the small developers, but in truth, if you see like companies like CD Projekt uh, who made The Witcher mm-hmm. are now switching to Unreal because for them it's too expensive to make their own technology or 343 Studios mm-hmm. or yeah. lots of studios are moving to pre-made game engines because it's so so expensive to do this technology now. Like the in-house game engine is kind of dying. And this is why I think it's so important that something like Godot exists because at least you can like have something to work with that you own, you know, like it's open source. So I think open source Mm -hmm. is super important in this age where it's so difficult to make your own now. So at least you need to like have something that you can work with, with the high complexity of everything in the graphics and other parts of the engine. Yeah. Well, that being said, thank you so much, Juan, for being here on the show. We are so excited to be able to talk with you about Godot and, and see all of the different possibilities with it. I think Having an open source game engine, like you said, is something that's so important for the game dev community to grow and thrive and be Mm -hmm. accessible to beginners. If people want to get started, where should they go? I think the best is still to go to the website and try to get to do the official documentation. I know we are still a bit behind the times because all the young people prefer to just look at YouTube videos and and learning (laughs) to make the... The games, but I think it's still good to go to official documentation, which is very well thought and very well like designed by the contributors doing mm-hmm. documentation. And then once you go there, you can look at video tutorials from people like Kids Can Code or GD Quest, uh, who make like amazing tutorials on Godot. But I think mm-hmm. it's better to first familiarize with the official stuff. We have it in many languages, so it's very accessible. Awesome. And what's the uh, URL for the website? Uh, just godotengine.org pretty much. And you can go to Docs, and from there you have everything. Perfect. Thank you. It's time to shout out a Lifeboat badge. A Lifeboat badge is an answer score of 20 or more to a question score of negative three or less that goes on to receive a score of three or more. And this one is awarded to Martine Peters, who answered a while loop one-liner. Ooh. So we'll check that out and put that in the show notes. That being said, my name is Cassidy Williams. I'm CTO over at Contenda. You can find me at Cassidoo, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O, on most things. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find me um, on Twitter at Arthur Donovan. Well, I'm Kwalinski, uh, and you... 
I don't think where you can find me. I have a Twitter. Uh, just <laughs> search for me, I suppose, where I post Godot-related stuff. But if you have never checked out Godot, I think I really recommend you do it. You're going to have a lot of fun tinkering with it. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye.